the Michigan Hockey Cast 6.2, where we're recording on a Tuesday. Do you have a guess for what my opener is this week? No. Just nothing? Nope. I, you didn't spend the last day and a half thinking about it? Uh, no. No. I'm, I'm a little disappointed. Uh, it feels like it's obvious. We have to talk about scheduling, right? Sure. Like, not only did they play the hockey game at the same time as the Minnesota football game a few days ago now, but the Michigan State game time comes out, which was largely rumored to be at night. And Michigan hockey has already announced that they're playing Ohio, the Ohio State hockey series, the Saturday night game, at 7. Not earlier, not Sunday, not any other time, but concurrent again. And there are other games that, you know, we've seen rumored to be football games, seen rumored to be at night, potentially Purdue. Now, that one's on the road. You know, Michigan has to go to Wisconsin. So they have less control over that, I think. And then the Maryland game, also rumored on the road, but hockey is at home for that one. And that is already listed against Penn State at you know, six or seven or whatever. So you could technically have at least three home hockey games playing concurrent to Michigan football games. And then, you know, other ones that do happen because, you you know, you don't have the control as the games are on the road and all that stuff. And I just, I don't get it. Do you have a take on this? You have to have some take on this. I think they should play Thursday, Friday in the fall. Well, yeah. Like everyone? If you're in the Big Ten. If you're in the in Big, the Big Ten. Ten. The other schools, I don't care. If you're if you're at Boston College and you want to hide your football <laughs> game, like that's fine. If you don't want to see Stonehill football. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that the Big Ten should be Thursday, Friday in the fall. Because everyone's like Friday, Sunday, and like, okay, that's great if you're Brian, but... <laughs> You know, a lot of people also enjoy watching the NFL. That's true. In terms of just interest and excitement, the NFL is, you know, the number one ratings juggernaut anywhere in sports. Other leagues will do anything they can to avoid conflicts with it. So to me, it's just a good idea to avoid football altogether. What's going on on Thursday nights? Yeah, but that's different. And half the Thursday night games are terrible. My point is nothing. Sure. No, no, no. Yeah. Oh, you mean because of the NFL. Yeah. yeah. Well, if they're avoiding the, the yeah. Amazon game. Commander's Bears. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, that's oh, yeah. No, but you make a really good point on that. And I just, I, I don't, I mean, I, I don't, I wasn't even going to go that radical. I mean, I, I totally agree with it. And I like it. And, I mean, we, and we've done, had those in the past. They've done and it before. Yeah. Yes. But at least play your hockey game at like four o'clock then three o'clock then let fans go to the games the home games come home and watch the football any of the home games for hockey they should be able to flex the time you would think if you so. can flex football two weeks in advance you can flex hockey so we were talking about this the other day and you know when you're doing a non-con schedule that's a little different but if you're in the big 10 like yeah. all these schools are in the same boat like penn state's gonna get it Yep. Ohio State gets it. Yep. Michigan State gets it. Now, they may want to hide their football games. <laughs> I don't know. But they're going to be like, oh, yeah, you know, we had to do that too. Okay, yeah, start the game two hours earlier. And, I mean, is do you think that there is a big difference for a team that's traveling in on the second game that 
the puck drops like two hours earlier. No, I mean, in general, it's not like they have a lot of appointments that day and they're trying to fit in the <laughs> hockey got their game. dentists, yeah. dental work done. Well, I mean, like, in you, I mean, you remember. You generally, as a team, block off that day and the thing you're doing that day is hockey. So on, what time it is doesn't really matter if you're a player. On Saturday in the winter, you know, you'll still have a game or Michigan, Michigan will have a game at Yost, I should say, at night. And, you know, an MSU game, a Penn State game, Notre Dame game, they'll, they'll start at like four or five or six. I mean, that, that happens routinely. I'll get to Yost to be setting up everything and be like, oh, I'll put on the second and third period of this game. So that's not unprecedented by any means. You know, probably those teams want to take the bus home afterwards. Yep. And I just, you know, for that to happen for three games in the fall, it it just be I, – I mean, if I we're don't being even honest, words. they should – they should start hockey a month later. Or two months later. Well, then you bleed into May and you get like that baseball problem. Where, baseball problem. Where fans like aren't as interested. And because they... Students leave and all that wanna stuff. Want to go to but Michigan baseball games. But if you start, it, if you start games, it November 1st instead, yeah. and then the Frozen Four is at the end of April, you're still concurrent with the spring, you know, the winter term. So it's not... Also, you can play in December. You can stop at Christmas, you know, before Christmas. But they usually, I mean, I guess teams want, it doesn't work for Michigan because of juniors and all that stuff. I mean, you know, just but, push it back and then you do the NCAA tournament in April instead of March and it's fine. It's almost like I wrote a series on this years ago, but well, anyway, remember NCAA hockey governorship is basically whatever the worst option is, is the <laughs> one they'll pick. Are you, you know, you always say you're not an, you're not an expert in X, Y, or Z or whatever. Are you going to run for this job? NCAA uh, hockey governorship? No. Can you be talked into it? <laughs> I would need uh, more power in that role. You always need more well, power. No, I'm though. not whipping votes for it. You would just, <laughs> I would be getting, you know, just is it, setting Is the a mandate. voting position? I feel like it's appointed. Yeah, but I think they have to get the consent of the universities. Yeah. I would only want it if I'm telling the universities what to do. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe that time is coming. Uh, maybe. Probably not. All right. So now. We should transition to talking about the games, or at least the first game, which uh, we kind of saw. Uh, Not we li- really. listened I to mean, on the radio for, what, 20 minutes, 15 minutes when it was on, because BTN Minus has w- started off with a bang. and So there was actually one of the internet scouts was supposed to be watching that game, right? The Providence-Michigan game? Yeah. This is someone who is not affiliated with college hockey, really. They're just a prospect guy. But okay. anyway, they had a tweet on Friday night, or Saturday, Saturday night, night, when that was going on, and they were like, the VTN Plus stream is down, and, you know, this is weird. VTN Plus is usually pretty reliable. <laughs> what? And so I thought, first of all, that's crazy. Second of all, <laughs> if this person is just watching college hockey streams, he might not be wrong. Uh... Because as bad BTN, as BTN minus Plus is worse than, or is better than, than some of the other ones. Is it? It might be. I don't know. We've had to buy a few of them. Brian has. <laughs> I don't know. I don't really know how it stacks up with others. But we've seen some. Well, we, we've seen some dingy ones. NCHC TV. We had that one was okay. Flow Sports. I think we had that one's not for, for great. like one game. We're gonna have ESPN Plus this weekend. That's great. ESPN Plus is awesome. I think generally speaking. Yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, I don't know what the in, in-house camera is going to be all like. All these but. just need to be on Peacock now. <laughs> I mean, people complain about Peacock for things. I mean, Peacock is not great, but at least it's professional. Yeah. The problem with Peacock is its interface. 
on, oh, yeah. on the TV. Like you can't. I, don't, I haven't used it as much like on online. I think it's a lot better. But if you queue it up on a TV, like with with, with a, just a remote, yeah, like an Xfinity like a, like, remote or, or a Roku or, or even a Roku, yeah, you like press the button, and it takes like forty five seconds for it to move across, and it's like so laggy. So then you don't know where you are, yeah, it, and you're just like bouncing just, around. It's and... like unbearable. Like you can't <laughs> rewind because it. Yeah, it, it takes, that is true. It takes twenty five seconds to yeah start rewinding. I mean, what in the world well, the, is going on with when that? you DVR on Comcast? Like when I do rewatches and stuff, like. It's a dream. It's great. Because you have slow motion. You can go back 30 seconds. It's just like this is what you want. But you do it on ESPN Plus or Peacock or something, and it's a nightmare. I mean, you're going back half a period sometimes because you're like, oh, well, go back further, back further, back further. And you're like, why am I in this first period now? But anyway, so we got distracted again, which, okay. But – so, I mean, it's relevant because that's all we know about the first. <laughs> well, two goals were scored apparently. Yeah, but we didn't see them, so we can't. Really I, I'm not hundred. Are you certain this game was played? Like I think it was. There were rumored to there be people are there. Eyewitness accounts. There were a few. <laughs> but uh, Josh Ernesty, which I think we've did we know that last week? Not really. Okay, Josh Ernesty scored his first goal for scored the first goal of the year for Michigan and his first goal for Michigan. And what looked to be a redirect in front, I think, from a Rucker McGordy shot. Um, or that's what it sounded like. <laughs> and, um, you know, then Providence had... So I think Michigan played okay in that first period. They gave up a goal a minute and a half later on the power play. Gave up a couple more goals in the second period. And then another power play goal in the third. They were down 4-1. to one. Um, And that was bad. Uh, we saw... I think one of the middle goals and it was a, an odd man rush goals, two on one. And the, I think it was uh, Warren and Truscott on the ice that both had gotten beaten. The pass gets across and it's, you know, seemed very familiar. Um, the other thing of note is, is Noah West started, which uh, caught me by surprise a little bit. Were you surprised at that? Not necessarily. I mean, we had heard from Narado that it was going to be a, a tandem to start the season. We talked about that last week, and it's not super uncommon when that is the case that you give it to the older player. Well, and the guy who's been around. Right. Remember when True Wilson got to be the running back to start the season? <laughs> well, he was, uh, he was not bad. He was a good pass protector. but I mean, he ran okay, too. I mean, he wasn't an NFL guy. He wasn't he, Charbonnet they, they, or Hassan Haskins, but yes. Yeah, I mean, Haskins was young, right? I mean, yeah, but so. the point is, we've I've seen this before. I've this sort of thing. Okay. Where if it's a if it's a guy's in a tandem, that's the home opener. You just wanted to. So I heard, I talked to a number of different people and was like, you know, tell me about West. And and mostly people did not have overly positive things to say about his performance. I don't have a personal opinion. I mean, I I have an opinion of who I thought I wanted to win the job, but not on what happened. Obviously, on the game that may or may not have happened on Saturday night. I mean, the first uh, two-on-one goal, it's uh, Casey and somebody else going down. I would assume that's Tyler Duke, but... I would think so. It's a decent pass across, and you have West sliding, but it didn't look like a very good shot and just kind of trickled That's the one that trickled through, and yeah. And he banged up against the post as he was going across. So that was a kind of a weird one. And then the other one is... a kind of a two-on-oh almost, where uh, Warren and Truscott are kind of caught in the neutral zone, and 
a flip across and it's a finish in tight. It feels like with the angle, West should have been able to shut that off. But so, so we have two, two, two odd man rush goals. Yep. And then two power play goals. Yes. So that's not as bad because those are goals that in some ways are defensible because they're a much better scoring options, right? Like it's not like you're just shooting a puck from somewhere and it gets through and the goalie just misses it. You're actually getting probably good looks because the one, the one power play goal, I think that was the second one was a pass across that dissected the, the yeah. penalty kill. The first one there is video of. On the, on the, <laughs> Did you just use air quotes on a podcast? On the Providence Twitter, but it was shot with a potato <laughs> and the camera is for most of it focused on the referee's back. Ah, well, and the play is going on in like deep focus, but not focus. Like it's in the background, but it's very blurry. <laughs> <laughs> I, Sounds helpful. I can't really make out what this even looks like. I mean, sometimes it, I'm surprised there are college hockey fans. Look at this video quality. Oh, oh, well, that's so. That's not lack of focus. That's like oh oh there goes the referee. But th- that's how are you supposed to tell that? But that's the boards. Like yeah, I the know. boards are just kind of foggy. Yeah. So, yeah. I didn't even see the shot when you showed it to me. So, um, Michigan gets one goal back with about seven-plus minutes to go. Brindley, I think, had a tip-in from off to the side of the net to make it 4-2. That's as close as Michigan would get. Um, So, they lose the game that may or may not have been played 4-2. Corsi in the game... I. College Hockey News is not, like, adding everything up anymore. So I, I had to kind of do it by hand or at least count it. And so I think I had 60 to 40 um, in favor of Michigan. So, you know, maybe it wasn't quite as bad. But Providence did go two for five on the power play. Penalty kill still something that needs work. We will definitely get to that uh, when we get to the second game. And Michigan goes one of four on the power play, which is fine. Um, but, you know, being down 4-1 in the early third, not great. OMR goals, we've seen those before, and you know maybe West could have saved one of them, maybe not. I don't have a ton about it. Peter was at the game; he was filling me in a little bit. Um, people had some opinions. I just, you know, I don't know. It's the first game. I was a little nervous going into Sunday because I was like, you know, if it's similar, they don't look as good. Like I didn't get the West starting. Obviously, they started Barchuski on Sunday, so I thought there was kind of a lot that needed to go into this and like you know we need a good showing here you know you can't get run out of your building twice against a team that is good but not great when you're you know number five and projected to probably make the tournament as you know at least a two seed yeah they needed to come out and play well you can't get swept in your own building to start the season have to rise to the occasion especially when you've been dealt a, a punch to the mouth in the first game and largely they did yeah so they start the game super fast, as the first note that I have is the goal. I think it was, I don't know how many seconds into it. Was it even, was it the first shift? It might have even been the first shift. It was definitely the first shift. Um, but, and I kind of pin this on Svetebeck a little bit. Um, it was 32 seconds in. A shot, I think it was from Truscott, comes from the point and is wide. Comes off the backboards, and uh, Brindley just tucks it in inside the post. Um, but I thought that Svetebeck, like, left his post too early. And, like, when the puck is on that side, unless you can clearly see that it's going to, you know, it's coming from such an angle that's going to bounce around to the other corner. Like, I just think that you have to hold that post. 
Like you, you know, until you're certain or, you know, until you can find it, you can't go leaving and have it come, you know, careening back out and just be tapped in. Yeah, the goal here is it's a shot taken by uh, Tyler Duke. Was it Duke? Okay. Um, And it's just kind of a classic Joe Louis Arena bounce off the end boards. But it's taken from straight away, right? Like it's not... It, it's like the puck is going to come off the boards. Like it's not angled at a, at a way that it's going to take a funny bounce. It didn't take a funny bounce. It just came off the boards. It took a large bounce. It wasn't a strange angle bounce, right. but it was a large one. And it trickled out in such a way that it was right there to just sort of tap it right in. And yeah, from the goaltender perspective, he really just overcommits a little too much because when he comes sliding across for the shot, he ends up halfway outside the crease. So he knows he's got to get back because you don't know exactly how far that's going to bounce out, and it could be on the other side. You have right. to recenter yourself yeah. uh, momentarily. But in the attempt to recenter, he slides too far to the other side, and now he's got that right post exposed. Right. Ideally, you just like to be honestly probably butterfly uh, with the skates on either post in that situation, I think was what you'd probably prefer when it's behind the net. Yeah. And Brindley just gets a gift right there and he scores his second goal of the year's first of the game. And then, and pretty soon after, I think it was like the next shift after that Truscott takes a penalty. So Providence is back on their power play. And this was a big moment in the game because, you know, they had, they went two for five, I believe the previous night. And the penalty kill has just always been a thing that, has needed to get better, and this isn't even just a Nerado thing. This went back to the Mel era and even the Red era. I mean, Michigan has just never really had a great penalty kill, and, you know, we talked about in the offseason about, like, hey, this would be a great thing to fix. (laughs) If you could find a way to fix this for the first time in a long time, that would be wonderful. And so they get, they have a a rough first game, they get a free gift, and then they're right back on penalty kill and you just don't want to give away all that momentum and I thought that kill was actually pretty good and led by Jake Barczewski who made two really nice glove saves had his glove out snapped them both out of the air that was those were the two best chances I would say that Providence had on that first advantage and and he showed why he should be in net. as they say the goaltender is your best penalty killer all right um not too long after that, I think it's only in like the fourth minute of the game, third or fourth minute of the game, um, we get the Casey goal. And that's, he basically just goes coast to coast, picks up the puck in his own zone. And he's not even really going fast. No, it's he's not going like very, he's uh, Luke Husing. Yeah. He's just kind of sauntering. Is that a good word? Meandering yeah, I up think the sauntering ice. is a good word. Sauntering. Uh, we'll go with that. Blue line, red line, blue line, very little resistance, comes down the right wing, curves into the slot and just lifts a backhander over Svetebeck and... I mean, I watched the replay of that a few times, and I was just kind of like, is 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 anyone going to stop the puck? I mean, like, when you have a fast break, and this wasn't even a fast break, but if you have a fast break in basketball, the first rule you're taught is stop the ball. And no one really, really did much to Casey. It was nice. I mean, he did a good job, and it was in some ways reminiscent of that goal in Tampa where he comes down the wing and beats a guy and, and gets into the crease and scores. Um but this was this was pretty easy. A good shot, lifted it high, under the bar. This is just profoundly embarrassing for <laughs> the five skaters on the ice for Providence. Because yeah, there were people like, "Oh, do you see that?" And you can't just let a guy dangle through you at that speed, right? If you 
when you see a guy slice through and do all these neat dekes, it can be more understandable if they're at top speed. Like because the Hughes goal against Ohio State a couple years ago, where he comes flying through the neutral. Yeah, thing. and I mean, you've seen a number of McDavid rushes like that over the yeah. years, because when you have that speed, it introduces another variable, which yeah. is it makes it extremely hard for the defenseman to judge a gap. And so what you're supposed to do if a guy's dangling through like that, you know, you need to step up and play the puck and play the body, right? right. You know, either cut him off inside or... or just give some amount of force, right? Provide any resistance. Yes. But if he's coming really fast, it's harder to judge where and how you need to do that. Right. You, know, you misjudge. And you sort of like why, why safeties give ground when yeah. a running back hits the hole. But this guy's not going fast at all. <laughs> <laughs> he's going extremely slowly. He's sauntering. And yeah, you have, he beats one guy to start the play. Okay. But then you got four uh Providence players inside the blue line and he weaves in on the first one just goes around him okay but then it's really that next one he comes up against because he goes out wide and instead of the Providence guy positioning his body more to the inside to say okay you can go down the wall and around but you're not cutting to the middle yeah and if you are I'm going to body you instead he goes outside and tries to like poke check and Casey just says no I'm not going there and crosses him up inside and then even the far guy over on the other side, you've got two Providence players. They both cover the pass, and no one steps up to take him. And what is going on on this play? It's just a guy bringing the ball up the court and just gets a layup because nobody checks him. It's, I mean, that's what it yeah. reminded me of, yeah. right? Like, you just uh, – we guess, guess we're just not stopping the ball. All right. Um, so it's 2 nothing within a few minutes, and it was kind of exactly what Michigan needed. They needed a bright start. They needed – um, some momentum and to kind of get some energy going in the building that really supposedly didn't exist on Saturday night. Um, and they actually almost make it 3 nothing because there's a giveaway and Moldenhauer gets a really good look from the house. And, I mean, if that goes in, uh, I'm wondering if they don't call a timeout, they don't remove Svetebeck. I mean, it, I mean all this is going to be within five minutes. It's 3 nothing. You're about to get absolutely just blasted out of the building. But Well, they did call a timeout, but later on. Well, okay, but I mean that was a that was a, yeah. a key point for Providence, and they got the save they needed, and um, they end up you know Brindley takes a slashing penalty, and and Providence gets another power play, and they have another chance, and you're like, okay, you know, guys, gotta stop taking these penalties. Um, but you know, I thought that penalty kill was even better. Uh, they didn't get as many chances on it, and nothing was really dangerous at all. And you know that was that was a really good bounce back from Michigan, um, getting to the halfway point, keeping their two zero lead, killing two power plays because you know they're going to get chances, right? You know they're going to get power play chances because that's just how the game of hockey, especially in college hockey, works. You get the first couple calls, and it's like, oh well, you're done for a while. And um, you know there, and actually the second half of that first period, not as much happened. I had um, like a nice play from Nazar, and then uh, Kifu, our, our old buddy. So we got to talk about this, right? So Cal Kifuk is the new Dylan St. Cyr, where I don't even remember what year it was. I think it was about three years ago. He was a commit to Michigan, and they defer him, and they don't take him. Yeah, he was in that group with, like, Cole McWard, who we talked about last week. Okay. And and those sorts of players that Mel got, I think, like, early on. And then Michigan was like, eh, we've now accumulated enough draft pick guys that we don't need you. So he gets deferred says no thanks and goes to I believe UMass and yep. Michigan played against him I think three two years ago. Was he on the championship team? Mm, I don't know. He look. was on the team 
that came to Yost that Michigan beat. Yeah, that's the year after. But yeah. He might, I, he might have been on that one the year before. I'll take a look. So while you're looking, so Michigan plays against him that year. It's like, I think that was um, the the Olympics year, the like the all the number one draft picks year with the second year for power, Beneers, Bortolo, that crew. And um, so then he apparently transfers from UMass, goes to Providence, and now Michigan plays against him at Providence. Yeah, he was. He played four years at UMass. So this is his last year? Yeah. His last oh, last that year. sucks. I was hoping he'd be able to transfer, and then we get to play him again next year at the new school. But Because uh, that's what St. Cyr did. St. Cyr commit to Michigan, doesn't come here, goes to Notre Dame. Michigan plays against him in Notre Dame, goes to Quinnipiac. Michigan beats them in the tournament two years ago, goes to Michigan State, and yeah. Michigan beats him at Michigan State, too. And... Um, but so he got close. Cal Keefoot gets close, but he, he boards Duke, um, uh, Tyler, I believe to create the first Michigan power play and Michigan doesn't do a ton with it. They got eh, maybe like one okay look and spent way too much time trying to get it set up. And that was basically the first period. So a good first period for Michigan, uh, two Oh lead, kill a couple penalties. Um, I was feeling pretty good. Yep. Good first, uh, showing to the game, make your statement. Second period, um, there is some things that happen. Not as many uh, big events, I don't think, but um, they get Michigan gets some chances. And I actually I thought that um, Michigan outplayed Providence in the second period. Like they, you know, shots were I think even after one. It was about seven to seven, and then Michigan I think had twenty four after the second, and and Providence was still in the mid teens, and so. Um, they played really well. They didn't get a goal until late. We'll talk about the goals, but um, it was a good follow-up period where they sort of imposed their style of play and kept the puck really well. And just it was a lot of like what we've seen the past couple of years from Michigan hockey, where they are better than a team, and you just have to play the way they want you to. Yeah, the second period, and really a lot of this game was just. Dominant possession hockey. Michigan had yep. control of the puck for long stretches of time. They would get in the offensive zone. They do their five-man cycle where everyone is moving around and they're moving the puck all over and people are rotating down and replacing. It was really a good sign in that regard after a, a sleepier first game to see them play that way. And a guy who actually I thought had a pretty good game, and especially in those first couple of periods... Um, and then, you know, had a little bit of a moment that we can discuss because Peter had a point on it, but um, it's Philip LaPointe, and he takes a penalty late. Now, it was sort of back-checking on a bit of a rush, and he was defending his own slot. And so Peter's point was like, look, you know, he never like a penalty, but he's not taking a guy down the offensive zone. He's not, like, hacking at somebody's head. He's getting back, playing good defense, and, like, that's, you want, if he, he's a guy who's on the fourth line, Hadn't played a ton in his career. Given a letter, at least he's like committing an effort penalty. Like you want to, you want to see him actually playing hockey, right? Not nowhere to be found. I didn't like this didn't, penalty at all. Now you didn't like it on Lapointe's point from his point of view, or that it was called. No, on Lapointe. Okay, I, I'd rather see him finish the back check and work hard because he just trips him as they're entering the the defensive zone, and it's a Pretty clear trip, I thought. Yeah. Me. And I'd just rather see him get back and actually fight for it as opposed to just yanking him. Did you did you like his game previous to that? Because I thought he actually played well. His forecheck. He seemed okay. His in-zone stuff was pretty good. And that's not really something that we've seen a ton from him previously. And I, you know, 
after those first couple periods, thought, I think I'm probably okay with him on the fourth line. Not sure. I'm talking about like comparatively speaking, not like to Tanner Rowe or Chase Pletsky or Keenan Draper or something like that. But just overall, you're like, eh. Yeah, I thought he was so fine. Yeah. Um, so he takes the penalty, and Michigan does, like, a wonderful job for about 90 seconds. They actually get their first odd man rush of the game. It's a two-on-one with Ernest C. and Warren. The shot was saved. And then Nazer and Hallam create a chance, and Casey gets a shot. I mean, they their penalty kill looked better than Providence's power play on this particular occasion. But then somebody gets lost, and Malinsky is able to— no, Malinsky. Maliniski. Maybe I believe it. it's Malinowski. Malinowski. Even though there's not a W, but... That's interesting. Okay, so Malinowski walks into the slot and just sort of picks a corner on Barcheski, and, I mean, that was probably the best chance that Michigan given up all game, and I, you know, that was... I mean, he just picked a corner, I think it went off the post, and, you know, you just can't let him get there. It feels like Michigan, we needed to see more weeks, but feels like Michigan, to me, is trying to run a little power kill, as we would say. Oh, yeah. Where they were being pretty aggressive on the entries, and on this one, it's exactly what happens. You have one four-checker outside the blue line. You have uh, the entry get by him, and then Brinley and Warren come over both to shut this off. Hmm. And so you get a lot of pressure there. Problem is, they don't shut it off. And so then all of a sudden, it's uh, two-on-one down low because it gets by Warren. And so... I thought that was just kind of looked like a schematic thing, but I need to see more weeks of it to see if that's what they're trying to do. Would that surprise you if they're doing that? Like, would you, or, or No, because it can work for a team that's got a lot of speed, and if you're putting more skilled players, if Nazer's going to continue to be a penalty killer, if Brindley's going to continue to be a penalty killer, it can make a lot of sense. You see teams that play their forwards out there uh, do that in the NHL. Boston did it for a long time with Bergeron and Marchand, and... Carolina has done it with uh, Natchez and Ajo playing on the penalty kill. When you put really skilled players on a penalty kill, it makes sense to be more aggressive as opposed to just being shot blocky because then you can create a lot of shorthanded looks. And those teams that do it well are very effective. I think I think it was the, the Hurricanes last year, but there was one season recently where it was a tandem of penalty killers, very skilled forwards that over the whole season of time they'd been out there, they had scored more goals than had given up. <laughs> and it's 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 become really in vogue, and so it wouldn't shock me if Michigan's trying to do this because we know that Narado is one of those sorts of people that is really interested in, in the new sexy things that are going Cutting on. Cutting edge stuff. Yeah. Um, Peter actually commented on that too, where he said that he thought, because he went to that summer showcase and said that that was where Nazar shined. As he thought sure. he's a great penalty killer, and you, I wouldn't be surprised to see him out there doing that. And he looks not only really good, but creating scoring chances. Yeah, so it, it can make sense. I, the other thing with this goal, and th- this is one of two goals in this game where you have a shooter walking in on Barcheski and, and just beating him. And again, that's something that may be more of a concern this year than it was with Eric Portillo in terms of just being able to make that sort of A-plus stop. Well, I mean, that was more of a given, right? I mean, we kind of talked about that last yeah, week. Yeah, it's just, just, like... it's just evidence when confirmed. But also, we talked last week more about sort of in motion and, and sliding mm. across goals. This mm-hmm. one, he's not sliding. The pass comes across, and the shooter isn't one-timing it. He's not really catching shooting it either. He picks it up, and he walks down another two or three paces, enough time to completely erase Steve Holtz from this play, who goes down to block the shot, and there's no shot. And so he, he drags it around him. 
So Barczewski's got time to watch it, see it, set, and then he gets beat. And there's there was two of these instances in this game. And so it's just a, a piece of evidence that this is something we have to be more aware of. So it feels a little bit of a downer because you're like, all right, it's 2-1. We're probably heading into the break. But Michigan has a nice little rush at the end of the period, and um, we get some some roughing calls, and it's Brindley's called for roughing, and then Michigan actually challenges that. Um, was it Truscott that got hit in the head? I think. Yep. And they challenge at that particular point for a major and win it, which I almost fell out of my chair because weren't they like two for the season last year or something in that in those sorts of things, and. So you get the penalties start concurrently. So you're going to have two minutes of four on four because Brindley has his his penalty. And then the elongated all-you-can-eat three-minute power play into the next period. And on four on four, Michigan looked really dominant. They skated really well. Not really surprising. And you had Rutger passing from the boards, hitting Nazer, cutting down the slot. And he goes backhand forehand and, and beats... Svetebek to make it three to one. And that happens like what right at the end, there's like 10 seconds left in the period to basically erase that power play goal, restore the two goal lead. And at that point I was like, okay, they've checked a lot of boxes. This is looking pretty good. Yeah. The one thing about that challenge, um, it was not like way ahead of the, of the play. And that, we know our well-established position on this topic. <laughs> I don't like the ability to challenge things that happened like a long time ago. But the hit on Truscott happened only about 10 seconds before the, okay. the rough stuff. It was like, And there was no other chance to make a stop, right? No, it so was the first stop. Right, yeah. Yeah. So I, I did think that was okay. And the four-on-four four you thought was going to favor Michigan because of the speed. So that's something to... Uh, Keep in mind there. But yeah, this is just a great play by Nazer in tight. And you have uh, McGordy and Tyler Duke deep in the zone. They have Providence on their heels, but it's really just a great uh, combination of passing and, and anticipation there. Nazer makes the little move and gets a quick step on the Providence defender, and the pass is just right there. I mean, it's basically like uh, in football when you see the back shoulder throw to the wide receiver. Yeah. That just perfect timing. They both know what they're doing. The defender doesn't have time to anticipate it and finish in tight. And that was really the shot in the arm that they needed because through 40 minutes, they've been smoking Providence. Yes. And you needed to go into the intermission with a two-goal lead to come close to replicating the sort of game that it had been. And so Michigan is going to get their power play very soon, about a minute into the third period. And in the middle of that, Hallam gets taken down. And so now it's going to be a five on three, which Michigan had on Saturday night, didn't score. They have one here. Um, we also have another instance of the net being kicked off. That was a complaint I heard from several people on Saturday that it happened a number of times. And then it happened a couple of times in this game, including where it looked like the referee skated over to talk to Svetebek and say, all right, guy, like we see you doing that. I think it was in the second period. Happens again, and they don't give him a penalty. <laughs> I mean, how, how do you do a – I mean, what kind of Mahomesing is going on where you do something – and then they call you on it, but we're just going to give you a warning. And then the second time, we're like, all right, we're going to give you another warning. Uh, this is a very <laughs> a very niche topic. But do you remember this discourse happened last year in the NHL with Matt Murray? 
Uh, it, it came up a number. I of remember times. it's happened when Michigan's gone to Minnesota with a couple of goalies there. <laughs> well, and that's Nate, that. That's that one peg at, at that Nate Mary. Wells talks about saying that like this is, just happens all the time at Mary uh, Mariucci. Yeah, yeah, that that south end of the ice. For is it, that what it is? I think it is something like that. But no, last year Matt Murray, when he was with the Leafs, kept there was this long running saga where he was accused of intentionally kicking the net off frequently. Yeah. And it happened in this game against the wild, like three, four times. And there was this writer, Michael Russo, who works for the athletic. And he was writing these pieces where he got to sit inside the situation room and watch the game with the NFL, NHL, like referee Mm -hmm. people or whatever. And (laughs) he got really fired up. (laughs) <laughs> about this Matt Murray controversy. And he had this tweet where he was like, he tweeted like all caps, I am in the situation room <laughs> and they are extremely concerned. And of course, nothing happened about it. Yeah. And Murray would do it occasionally. But then from that point on, people, every time a net got knocked off, people would tweet at at him, you know, at Russo <laughs> Hockey, the net has come off. The net has come off. You need to do something. <laughs> And that's what this reminded me of. And now any time I hear that the net has like been dislodged by a goalie and people complaining, I'm like, call Michael Russo. Get him on the phone. Did did you think that this should have been a penalty or no? It has to be so blatant for, to like crack down on it. And like it, unless it gets established over many weeks that it's a long running tactic used in like high leverage situations, you're never going to get a call on I don't that. think Barczewski knocked his net off once and I don't, I wasn't there to there see that West. There are some goalies but... that are more disposed to it if they're more powerful, like sliding yeah. across and they just hit the post extra hard. Portillo, that happened to Portillo a few times, but he's a large man. Yeah. So anyway, so there are these penalties that just keep building on top of each other. They actually take a third penalty at one point and they couldn't start the third penalty for two seconds until like the one penalty ended. And then those guys, the guy couldn't even come out of the box because you couldn't obviously have four people on the ice. So the Providence net or box was, was pretty full. And I guess the net was full too, because um, TJ Hughes hit Rucker McGrory on a really nice cross seam dot to dot pass and Rutger beat Svetebeck to make it four to one. They had the puck yeah, in the zone. Great, that was a great pass. Yeah. And I mean, it's four to one at that point. And you're like, okay, this is, this is pretty good. There are penalties later on that happen. I mean, we play about 10 minutes and I, at that point I'd stop taking notes. It's four to one. Michigan's firmly in control. Nothing's really going on. You know, I'd look up every now and then and, and make sure, but like, it wasn't like there were scoring chances all over the place. Michigan gets another five on three after, I think it was Kifuk. He had a roughing call or something, and then he gets uh, thrown out of the game, I think, and for misconduct. Well, he doesn't get thrown out of the game. It's a 10-minute misconduct, yep. and that's gonna run. That's not going to run out in time. So he leaves the ice, and then they call a bench minor. So maybe there was, like, protesting from the bench or... Uh, I, I don't, I don't fully understand that one, but, um, so at this point you have a five on three again and Nazer just is open from inside the dot and whips a puck in and it's five to one. And you're like, you know, what, when did that puck go in? It was like 1430. So there's like five and a half minutes left and it's five to one. And I mean, it's done. It's over. No, nothing's going to happen. Right. This one, by the way, two things interesting about it. It's just a great shot from Frank Nazer. The Nazer goal, yeah. Yeah, some people are surprised. I'm not. He has well, Who's a, surprised? He's a great shooter. I mean, this is just a— Are people surprised that he can a, shoot a puck hard? 
No, I'm just I'm I'm on the crusade against the Naser skeptics. Are there Naser so, haters? Uh, I don't know. We're not going to share names, but <laughs> okay. The other thing that's interesting about this goal is that it's Moldenauer screening the goalie, which is okay. I mean, it's a five on three too, right? So you just rotate. Sure, but you have the five foot nine, like one fifty guy screening the goalie. <laughs> is I don't he know. that thin? Uh, he's yeah. He's, I mean, he's a small guy. Okay. I, it's this is a small team as we've established. Yeah. But that is just that to me was like well when you have Rucker or Ernesty or even Astapa or you know Lapointe somebody like that you can just throw out there and screen to pick one of the smallest people on the team is rather interesting. Yeah. I. I wouldn't discount that, but it was also like four to one with a five on three with six minutes to go in the game. If you want to get someone some power play time, sure. But hockey coaches generally don't deviate. Subsi- like subscribe. I mean, it's to not that, they right. don't put Jack Tuttle on the power play when it's at the end of the game. <laughs> I'd like, like to ho- see Jack hockey Tuttle. team. You know, hockey coaches don't. <laughs> Do they have JJ McCarthy come on the ice and hug Eric Portillo in the middle of a game after you, you cut Ohio shifts State? down and stuff like that? But you don't generally just yeah. stop playing your best players when the game is out of hand. Yeah. Um, so Nazer scores, you like the shot. It's of little surprise to you, uh, five to one. And then we get into the last three and a half minutes, which I, I still am not a hundred percent sure what happened. Um, but it starts with Yaroslav Schmelar, who is a Rangers draft pick, splits Casey and Warren, it looks like, gets in and finishes a breakaway over... Barchowski, it's the first uh, odd. It's first and only, I think, odd man rush that I saw uh, for Providence on the day, um, making it five two, and just kind of like coloring the score and and sort of like the goalie performance a little bit differently. I didn't put it on him. Obviously, it's a breakaway, and and it's a nice little flip that he scores high. Um, and we've talked about you know that's something Michigan's gonna have to deal with. But um, at that point, it's just like oh, this is kind of annoying. This last section of the game should have been played with the Benny Hill Yakety Sacks theme music <laughs> over it because this is just – this one in particular, I'm very confused as to what the defense is doing on this play. There's three and a half minutes left in the game. You're up five to one. The game is over. Why are you pinching aggressively in yeah. the neutral zone? You have four players on the other side of the center line in the neutral zone. So everyone's kind of bunched up. No one's sitting back except for Warren. And then the puck squibs out to center, and his response is, I'm going to step up and pinch really hard. Instead of give away. ground. Just and... skate back. Yeah. You go, what are you doing? It's, you know, you're not down five to one with three and a half minutes <laughs> to go. Like, it, that makes no sense to me. And then he doesn't shut it off. And you kind of wish Barczewski makes this save because it's not a true breakaway. There's plenty of back pressure here. and you. But you, he's out in front. Sure. But you figure with back pressure, it's going to limit. What he can, all the options what he can do yeah. so he can't go Wallstrom spinnerama yeah yeah um and then Dylan Duke takes a penalty with about around two minutes to go a little less than two minutes to go and you know it's like it's a tripping call right and he just kind of or slashing he gets a, he gets caught behind and just slashes and it you know you just just don't do that like like just end the game get to the end don't like exacerbate the problem. They score like nine seconds in six because seconds six in. seconds in because I think Warren runs into Truscott and knocks him over and the puck comes out into the little slot and Liam Valente is just like right there and scores easily because 
No, well, this is this is a puck. They win the faceoff back, and Steve Holtz just loses the battle, just straight up. Oh, Holtz Pro- was Providence honest. player just comes in, bodies him off the puck, lifts the stick, takes it away, and Lapointe was positioned in the corner for an outlet pass, so he's not close enough to shut off the wraparound. And then you basically got man defense around the net. You've got the two Michigan players covering two Providence guys, but there's a third guy. And he makes a perfect pass to the third guy and boom, puts it right in. So in a 5-2 to two game with two minutes to go, Steve Holtz and Philip LaPointe are on the penalty kill? Sure. I mean, you're doing, I don't think, but the, I mean, Holtz. You're up three with a minute and 50 to go. Yeah, well, not anymore. Now you're up two. <laughs> because the guy so wide is open. And then Providence pulls their goalie. So, okay, they have an extra guy and... Um, that one, I actually missed a note on this. I was looking and I didn't actually take it, but, um, I know it was Duran who Michigan tries to get an exit up the, the left side. They don't get the puck out. It's turned over. Duran ends up alone pretty much in the slot and his shot beats Barczewski too. Yeah. Puck comes to Hallam and it kind of looks like he's going to try to skate out with it, but it's too tough. It's not perfect to know because he touches it and then his second touch it squibs off his stick blade so he was it was it pushed off or was he no it just he just it just kind of bounced away yeah so we'll never really know if he was planning to shoot it on second touch or skate it out and then after that point you've got three michigan players up against the wall and another one breaking out of the zone trying to get down the ice and that leaves Two-on-one down low, and Warren is kind of caught in the middle, and a pass just comes straight across. And this is the other goal I was mentioning in which you've got a shooter. He takes the puck. Barczewski sees it. One second, two second, and then rips it by him. But he's also alone in the slot. Yeah, but you need your goalie to make some saves. He made a lot of saves in the first part of the game. I'm not—look, I— you're probably right. I mean, Barczewski's probably not winning the what's the award, the Vic, the Richter Award. If like, your goalie that's just, is gonna, you no matter how good of a defensive team you are, you do need a goalie to make some, a save occasionally. I, I I'm fully aware, and I thought he was great in the game, and then yeah, I thought he the, played well. The defense just absolutely melts around him, and he doesn't get the save that you probably want one or two of those of him to make, maybe. But I'm just... It's hard for me to pin any of no, these No, I'm assigning like, these blame are, primarily to the team yeah. in front of him, certainly. But and I was kind again, of... Again, something to keep in mind. I was just a little bummed, because I wanted them to play Barczewski. He plays, plays really well, and now, like, there's... You could talk yourself back into a tandem again, and... and I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm not saying we can't play West at all. I don't think that it's going to be like the Portillo situation where like, you know, only one guy sees the ice. I just think that they went and got him for a reason and they could have just said, oh, no, Eric Portillo's out of here. Noah West, you're the guy. We'll get a backup. But they didn't. And there's a reason for that. We saw it a little bit last year and, you know, you kind of had the game you wanted and then the defense melted around and you know, they do get out of it despite having still another minute to kill. Uh, and Providence pretty much had the puck in the zone a lot of the time, had a couple good looks, and Shifsky blocked a shot basically at the buzzer to to seal it. But, like, at the end, you know, you dominate play for 56 minutes. I mean, that was a game that was, you know, Michigan was a top five team, Providence was a top 20 team, and that's what it looked like for 56 minutes. 
and then <laughs> all hell breaks loose for three and a half minutes. Everybody's heads fall off their bodies, and you end up with a 5-4 win, which is good. And in the end, you know, you take it. You take your win. But, um, wow, that was... Kind of reminds me of that Penn State game last year. Didn't go to overtime, but similar story. Uh, at Yoast? No, the one in State College, the one where they were up three nothing and blew the three nothing. Oh yeah, yeah. Were you just anyway? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they just didn't give up the right. It's, you play a dominant game for fifty some minutes and then free fall. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll take a break and come back and talk about uh, other hockey that didn't happen in Ann Arbor. I can't believe I'm doing this. If you find yourself in the penalty box, you want a Michigan man arguing your case, call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul tonight. It's 248-924-9458. Or visit his old website at michiganlawgrad.com. Saturday night, and then while they were playing on Sunday, there were also other games going on around the country. Um, We can start off with a couple of the more national games and then talk about, or, you know, national relevant games, and then talk about uh, some of like the Michigan scheduled games, future opponents, Big Ten stuff, and then we can transition into looking ahead to next weekend. Um, So the first one that was kind of interesting was uh, one of the teams getting a lot of preseason headlines was Boston U and for getting um, one of the top draft picks potentially in next year's draft right and they they go to Bentley so this wasn't in Boston this was in Bentley did you see that it's like Alabama playing uh, at South Florida USF yeah I mean it's in Waltham Massachusetts I'm not sure where that is do you know where that is no I mean Massachusetts isn't big don't they just put a big tarp over it when it rains like it's not i am not, not a massachusetts far. expert no i mean we were there one time but okay so bu gets out to a two-goal lead uh case mccarthy and macklin celebrini score and then bentley scores two goals to tie it up including a power play goal in the third period to send the game to overtime where lane hudson the mighty might defenseman uh scores for a winner but and they won in overtime yeah weird game at bentley weird game but even strength possession is pretty lopsided for BU as we'd expect. So yeah, probably just a goalieing situation and sloppiness of a young team. I would surmise. Yep. Um, another national team that Michigan always kind of looks up at is uh, Denver made the tr- 
trek to the Great White North in Alaska and won seven to three on Saturday, five to two on Sunday, which is impressive because it's, I mean, they're not quite, it's not as far for Denver, obviously, but like, you know, every time you go, I remember Michigan used to go up to Alaska all the time. And that Friday game was just like, you just hope to get a tie out of that game because you're just jet lagged and it's, it's just a, the travel just kind of kills you. And then Saturday you come back and usually win the game, but um, Denver's able to go up and grab a couple of wins. So hat tip to them. But you had an interesting point about Alaska, where their pregame entrance... They skated out of the polar bear. <laughs> but it's not a small polar bear. No, it's a big polar bear. It's, it's, an, it's a massive polar bear. It's very fierce. It, is, it, or, is it the the guy on Twitter? The polar bear on Twitter? The Don't they uh, have their... Hockey bear. Hockey or, bear? Yeah. Was that... Is that is, is so now we have a living embodiment of hockey bear. <laughs> I don't think it was living, but was he was he flying a jet? Unfortunately, no. No. Okay, so so they get um, they get a couple of wins there. Um, we can look at some games that Michigan is going to play. One of note is that Michigan goes to St. Cloud in a few weeks. And did you see this? That St. Cloud hosted St. Thomas on Saturday and lost in overtime. Bad, <laughs> bad, and they don't even have Josh Ernesty. No, they don't. That is not ideal. And the second game, they only won one nothing. Really? Uh, so I'm looking at the first game, and it looks like St. Cloud goes, wow, St. Cloud goes four of six on the power play. <laughs> the, all their goals are on the power play because they lose five to four. And St. Thomas goes two of seven. So uh, penalty kills are what? Bad. The uh, second game... The Sunday game possession metrics were pretty slanted towards St. Thomas. Really? Yeah. So, so this so the second St. game Thomas was... might be better. St. Cloud might be bad. It's hard to really know, but not the not the best showing, especially because if St. Thomas isn't actually good, those kinds of losses can kill you in the yeah. conference. So so the second game was actually at St. Thomas. So that was a home and home. Hmm. So that was uh, that was poor. How are your friends at Lindenwood doing? They played. Did Lindenwood play this? They weekend? went to Air Force. They lost four to one on on Saturday, Saturday and they won in overtime. Hey, look at Lindenwood. Air Force has not been particularly great in recent years, but yeah, it's a uh, their football team is really good though. But hockey, they not. are actually. They might. There's rumors they could make the yeah. They're in the kind of the driver's the seat. BCS the, game or whatever, yeah. but. Um, yeah, so Linden was up 3-1 to one at one point. Air Force had to fight their way back and scored. Oh, my goodness. They scored with one second left in the game <laughs> to tie it, to go to overtime. And then Linden, Lindenwood scores and wins. So they get a split. I mean, that's... Hey, good for them. Yeah, good for them. Did our, did your favorite team in the world, Stonehill, play? They did. Uh-oh. <laughs> How did that go? They lost 7 to nothing oh, God. to Northeastern. Do you oh. want to guess what the <laughs> shots were in this game? Uh, were they in triple digits? <laughs> <laughs> they were 52 to 13. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing in favor of Northeastern. Uh, that is correct. Yeah. Uh, okay, so that was the first game. and then They I are who we thought they were. <laughs> Did they play a second game? They did not. They played okay. just one. One they was just... enough. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, we're, we're canceling the second. This, this, this is too much. All right. Um, so I think that's it for Michigan's non-con schedule. Oh, 
Uh, well, we can big, we'll go th- Big Ten real yeah, quick. Yeah, we'll go to Big Ten. Wisconsin ushered Augustana into the D1 this weekend. So are they? What are are they a fable? What what is Augustana? It is a private Lutheran university. Do you want to guess where it's located? If it's Lutheran, it's probably in Minnesota. Close. Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Ah, oh, cool. South Dakota. Hey, are they the hosts of those regionals that keep going to Sioux Falls? I don't think they were previously, but uh, now they are. Now they could be? Yeah. Did they score on the weekend? No. <laughs> I believe they were shut out cumulatively 7 to nothing between I don't, the two games. I don't think there's much you can take from hosting Augustana. They are South Dakota's largest private university. Can you name another private university in South Dakota? Nope. You want to guess what their nickname is? <laughs> the Apes. Vikings. Oh. I like Apes. The president of the university was once in Congress. Fun oh. fact. So oh, wow. They're a real university. We just have never heard of them. We've talked more about Augustana than I ever thought I would in my life, but props to you for coming up with some of this awesome trivia. Okay, so Wisconsin, uh, yeah. Uh, Penn State, however, almost... They do escape, but they almost get drunk on a couple Long Islands as they Nate go. Nate Wells was at that game. Yeah. Oh, oh, good. I, I like Nate Wells. Um, yeah, they won. Three that's to an two. interesting game to go to. Is it just to go to a college hockey game? He had never been to Long Island, I believe. Like the actual island? No. The oh, he had never seen Long Island play D one hockey. They have the greatest colors. It's like like a light blue with a yellow super light blue and yeah and like a an orange yellow ish but very fierce it looks a little bit like that flint tropics what wasn't will ferrell make a movie with like a basketball team or something and a really like light colored anyway the flint tropics yeah something like that so but penn state is in a two to two game in the third period uh actually late in the third period and has to get a power play goal to win um, shots going into the third period were 20 to 15. So this was not a super lopsided game. Um, Penn State kind of dominates the third and eventually pulls away and, and wins, but um, I guess they avoided it. And you, you criticized them last week for only scheduling polywogs. Their tomato can not a conference. Yeah. Uh, they, we only get one game. Yeah, same thing for Ohio State and Mercyhurst. Oh, okay. Which Ohio State won. What was that score? The four score to three. Was four to three. The, Jeez, what is with all these? The, uh, the metrics were really lopsided towards Ohio State, so they were definitely the better team. But they were down two to one going into the third. Yeah, not a great sign for their goaltending, I will say. But yeah, they were definitely a lot better. Who is their starter? Turnus. Uh, Turnus, the guy from UConn. Okay. Do you have an opinion on him? No, not really. Not yet. All right. A lot of teams only played one game because Minnesota only. Minnesota played. played one game. You know why? Because probably because they were hosting a football game that night. It was night. also exhibition. Uh, and it was against, but it was against a a real team. Though, Bemidji, right? yeah, Bemidji, yeah. No, it wasn't an exhibition. It was, was it? Says it, it is on oh. College Hockey News. And how did that go? They won they five won to two. Five to two. Do you know? And I clicked on the game box yeah, there's score, there. and that's there's how you know it's there. exhibition. <laughs> <laughs> no one showed up for that one. Okay. And then Michigan State hosted Lake Superior and basically Did won what the you'd same expect. game twice. We saw Lake Superior last year. Are they any better? I don't imagine they are that much better. Yeah. Last year, they were quite possibly one of the five worst teams in college hockey. It was they bad. Were, they were really bad. I mean, Keenan Draper scored against yeah. them. <laughs> uh, Michigan State won 5-2 to two and 4-2. to two. Just so, basically what you'd expect. Yeah, because both games were in East Lansing. Yep. And they played early. Yep. Of course, they... Didn't have a football game, so um, 
Anyway. All right. And then UMass played one game on the weekend. It was an exhibition against Dartmouth. No, no. They played American International. They did. Well, they also played an exhibition against Dartmouth. Yeah, that's right. They beat American International 5-3 on Saturday, and they were up 4-1 in the third, and AIC scored two goals coming down the stretch uh, to make it kind of close. Possession in this game was pretty even. So I think it was actually I think AIC had more possession, but yes, but yeah, and they got a lot more shots on UMass, but also probably some score effects. Some score effects, yeah, I would. But look, if they're kind of roughly neck and neck, give or take with AIC, that gives us a a framework. AIC is sometimes a decent team, sometimes a bad team, but so that'll transition us into our next bullet point for those of you following along at home. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about UMass. We talked a little bit about them last week. Uh, this, their first game of the year, and then they play an exhibition against, against Dartmouth. Um, what do you have as a refresher on UMass? They were a really young team last year. They graduated a lot of the pieces that were left over from when they were good. The tournament team, yeah. yeah. So that was just a team that was really a different um, group than they'd had previously, and they really struggled. You look... At the ages of the players on their scoring sheet, here's the top scorers. Sophomore, freshman, sophomore, senior, senior, freshman, sophomore, 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 freshman. So a lot of underclassmen. Are those guys back? Uh, all of them except the two seniors. Well, okay. Are they No, but they're, no, they're in college hockey. One is Reed Lebster <laughs> at MSU, and the other one is Cal Keefog. <laughs> <laughs> so they could have been there. Yes. Oh. That, that's why I said they're both gone. I see. They okay. are in college hockey. They're oh. just not at UMass. So... They uh, have a guy, Scott Morrow, who is now a junior. He's one of those guys that is... Is it Brendan Morrow's kid? I don't know. I'd have to look that up. But he is regarded as a pretty good prospect among defensive prospects in uh, college hockey and just outside the NHL in general. And he's a freshman? Uh, He's a junior now. So this is his last ride, more than likely. He was a second-round pick at Carolina in the early second round a few years back, and He's one of those guys that whenever Carolina is in trade talks, which they inevitably never do, <laughs> do he's always talked about as, as like, one of the as guys the centerpiece. You know? Well, they're short on defensemen, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Ah, joke. So they also have Taylor McCarr on the team. He's not very good. They he was have, their leading goal scorer last year, I think, wasn't he? They didn't score any goals. So yeah. yes, he was. But he had he he had a Kirill Marchenko stat line or a Chase Putsky stat line. Ten goals, two assists, twelve points last yeah. year. So he had a goal in their game or an assist in their game. So, yep. Um, they have a lot of drafted skaters, not a lot of high picks, but they do have a lot of mm-hmm. guys that are considered plausible NHL players, mostly mid to late round. So those are guys that more than likely will be quite good once they're seniors, mm-hmm. but they're not yet. So mm-hmm. they're probably at sort of the midway stage of that development, and you're getting them early in the year, which I think is better than later in the year. So. And those and those games are Friday, this Friday and Saturday, both at seven p.m. One more, one more note on them. I don't know if he's on the roster this year. Let me check this real quick. But their backup goalie last year. <laughs> do you want to take a guess on who this guy was? Are, are you asking me just to name a oh, first is, name and a last name? He is still on the team. Okay. Yeah. Was he starting this weekend for them? I mean, Cole Brady was there, the guy who played. Yes. One game. Do you remember Cole Brady? Uh, am I supposed to? Yes. Okay. 
He was the guy, remember, that we liked. He started for ASU the year they were in the Big Ten. They were. He was a drafted <laughs> goalie. Wow. Yeah. That was like three or four years ago. It was. He okay. was a freshman. Now he's a senior. And he somehow went from ASU to UMass? Yep. Wow. So he started for them, but then they also have Michael Hrabal, who we mentioned was oh, the yeah. highly drafted goalie. So they've got two drafted goalies. Oh. He's got to figure out which one you know, is, is good. So it, if it is Cole Brady, it will be his second time facing Michigan. So expectation here is you should win both these games? I mean, they're hockey games, so we get it. I understand. Yeah, I think Michigan is a better team than them. Okay. And I would hope to win both games, but you never know. Yeah, and both, and they are Friday, Saturday, 7 p.m. ESPN+. Plus. So enjoy this one, because this is actually a good stream, I would think. Uh, or at least the production should the hockey, be. The Hockey East streams have generally been pretty solid. Yeah. All right. So that's... That's this weekend. That's about all we have for college hockey. Uh, we actually have opening night of NHL going on behind us five minutes into the game. So you wanted to take the remaining time, uh, whatever time there is, and talk a little bit of NHL. We can talk um, some Eastern Conference stuff to start and then do some Western Conference. Uh, Eastern Conference, a little interesting as you know, last year's Number one seed, Boston, is has a very different team. Um, I think that Carolina made a bunch of moves and are kind of like the fun pick, but did they get better or did they become more of themselves? Yeah, I think Carolina is still Carolina. They're going to have a decision to make at the deadline in terms of beefing up their goal scoring. Their yeah. defense is insane. It it's. I mean, can they even play all those guys? It's crazy. Like you, Do you have, just skate eight defensemen. I mean, we'll see if Brent Burns can continue to be so good at his advanced age. But him and Slavin have a case for one of the top pairings in the entire NHL. And then you have Dmitry Orlov on a second pair. He's a legit, you know, top pairing defenseman. Brett Pesci is a very very solid top four. That's Brady the guy Shea that's always top four. That's the guy that's always rumored in trades, right? Pesci is yeah. They might be letting him walk after the season, but he's a good player. And then on your third pair, you have Brady Shea, who's played top four minutes. So you basically have five From top four defensemen. Minnesota. Yep. And then uh, they brought Tony D'Angelo back, who has been pretty bad most places he's played, but the one place he wasn't was Carolina. So. <laughs> That's a, It's an elite defense. I think it's got a case to be the best in the NHL, and their forward group just lacks a little juice, and we'll see if they can fix that as the season goes along. But they have the but same goaltenders, right? They have the same goalies who played reasonably well last year. It's just, will they be able to score in the playoffs? But we'll see when they get there. Do you think they but they're going to get there. Do you so. think they win the division? I think so, because I'm not totally in love with New Jersey or New York. I mean, the Devils have a great young team, but... They have to establish that they can keep that level of play up. And they're also making some changes on the back end. They're sliding Severson and Graves out, who were two rock-solid players, and they're sliding Luke Hughes and potentially Simon Nemitz, if not him, Kevin Ball, into the lineup. And those are young defensemen, and you don't really know how they'll keep it up. And obviously, they're still running with Vanacek and Akira Schmidt in net, and we're also not quite sure on that. So, But they're a really good team. They're, New Jersey's forward group is probably the best in the NHL. I mean, it's so deep. It's it's wild. So they'll be good. Rangers are probably be good. They have a new coach. We'll see about that. But I Carolina is just a juggernaut in the regular season. They're gonna get 110 points. They do every year, and so that's a safe divisional pick to me. Anything else in that division of interest to you? Pittsburgh will be kind of fun. 
as a last with Carlson. Yeah, it's, they're going to score some goals, and yeah. it's going to be kind of a last ride sort of thing. A lot of guys in their 30s who are going to be in the Hall of Fame, and so that's a fun, fun watch. I think if we were doing the old Bill Simmons NBA League Pass rankings for the NHL, Penguins would be pretty high on the list. So probably why they're on opening night against Chicago. <laughs> um, and then Atla- it, is, how many goals is Ovechkin going to score this year? As long as he's healthy, he'll score 35 or 40. And how many does he need to, to catch how? He's uh, he's already passed half. Uh, I mean, to, to catch Gretzky, Gretzky. he's, I think, 60-some away. Okay. So he needs... So he's still two to three years. Yeah, maybe probably. 70. I don't remember exactly where okay. he is. But the thing with Washington is that the goal of their team is to get him the record. That's just... <laughs> <laughs> it kind of is. I, I mean, mean last, I guess they won their cups, so whatever. Sta- but. Last year, the amount of power play time he played was staggering. There was a stat at one point <laughs> that he had played like 95% of their power play minutes. Just not moving? No. Just he, standing yeah. on the dot? And Everyone then, else is doing stuff? And, and their he's entire like, power play is just his one-timer over and over and over again. It's just... Is this kid going to score in the All-Star game again? <laughs> that's the goal of the team. So <laughs> they'll get him the goals, but... Uh, the Atlantic, I think, is interesting because you have teams that are kind of sliding down and then teams that are sliding up. Mm-hmm. And so Boston lost a lot of pieces, but they still have a really good defense. Do you think they make they stay in the playoffs? I expect them to. It's You have to fall a long way from 135 points to not in the playoffs. What were they the year before? They were a wild card, right? Yes, but they were like a 104-point wild card. Okay. So... I do think they'll they'll see quite a bit of drop off, but at the end of the day, their defense is just really good, and they should be able to shut some teams down and win because of that. Do you so, expect do you expect their goaltending to come crashing back to earth? I do expect it to revert some, but I think they're a decent bet still, despite the weaknesses on the team, especially because Florida and Tampa are both shouldering sizable injuries to start the season. Well, Florida I mean, does not have Ekblad and Montour for a little while, and. That's not a position they're terribly deep at to begin with. So yeah. that's something to to and, watch there. And also, they barely made the playoffs last year. So yeah. it and took, what, like, game 82, yeah, right? and they were pretty healthy last year. So that's obviously reason for concern. They got hot in the playoffs. But, but you made an interesting point about them when we were talking about it before, where, you know, they're not the best team in the NHL like they were or the, with the most points two years ago, but they're also probably better than what they were last year. Yeah, so I, th- I think so. The analytics indicated that they were a better team than their record said, but if they get more quote-unquote luck, but they are worse for stretch of the season because of injury, then all of a sudden they yeah. might be in the same spot. So that's one factor. Uh, the Lightning. So Vassy's out for what, two months? Two to three months. Three months? It was somewhere saying eight to ten. So I are they starting heard... Brian Elliott? No, he's gone. Oh. They're starting Jonas Johansson. Oh, that's is... right. Oh, man. I read some stat that was like out of 300-some goalies to have played one game in the cap era, or the analytics era, he ranks like 320th the in Avs... save above expected. The Avs had to play him a couple years ago because of some goalie stuff, and it was an adventure. Let me tell you that. He, statistically speaking, has been one of the worst goalies of the past 10 to 15 years. Yeah. And But they believe in him. I mean, they had the ability to, to claim Martin Jones on waivers yesterday, and they didn't. And I don't think Martin Jones is any good, but I do think... He's better he than demi- JJ. <laughs> he has demonstrated that he is better than Jonas Johansson. So they believe in him. But... Uh, if Vasilevsky is out till Christmas, let's say, if it's a longer time, that's so, a lot of the season. That's 30, 35 games potentially. Can and, they hang in the playoff race? Well, I think what they're going to need to do is expend more energy in the regular season. Because they, they just kind of like... Last season, from... I think they kind of held a lot back. 
They got to the point at which they basically punched their ticket, and then they were quite bad the final six weeks of the season. But then they kind but of they raised, were really good against Toronto. Yep, in that they raised series. their game in the playoffs. But I think they're going to have to expend more energy in the yeah, regular season just to get there. Just to get there, because you can't just save it if you might not get in. And well, and there's some contract disputes going on between Stamkos and I think that'll eventually right? get resolved. But it, it is an interesting plot line for sure. So it's Toronto's division to lose at this point. Probably. Uh, the Leafs will be interesting to watch integrating new guys uh, up front. It's definitely the best forward group they've assembled in recent years, jettisoning guys like your Nola Charis and your Alex Kerfoots, who were good defensively but had no real ability offensively. What about Zach Aston Reese? <laughs> <laughs> and you're replacing them with uh, Tyler Bertuzzi, who's a 30 goal scorer in the yeah, league. He's Max, a nice player. Max Domi, who's a 20 goal scorer in the league. And Matthew Nyes who only yeah. played three regular season You're games. You're high on him, aren't you? I'm really high on him. I think he's a real player. So they're going to be much better offensively. They're probably going to be a decent bit worse defensively. The result is probably the same because <laughs> they're like Carolina. You know, when you average 111, 113 points over three seasons, you kind of... Figure out who you are. Yeah, you've earned that right to sort of just assume they'll be quite good. But uh, on the flip side, you have those other teams moving up. People are very right. high on Buffalo. I'm a little more tepid on them because they shot the lights out last year. Yeah. And I think that might regress some. Well, they're a fun team because they're going to score goals. They're going to score goals. They're probably going to give up some goals. Yep. And they're kind of banking on Devon Levi to be the guy. And look, I think he's a good prospect, but he's 21 years old. And if you look at how many goalies debut at that age or younger, it's not many. And well, it's and not many who succeed at that age. So if he does it, kudos to him. You if know? you're, but if you're not the guy in year one, it doesn't mean you won't become no, the guy. No, exactly. <laughs> but it's it's a very tenuous goaltending situation, and they didn't make any moves to make the goaltending better. So I actually like Ottawa's team quite a bit. The Norris stuff sucks. Um, we just got to put that out there as, as a Michigan hockey podcast. So he get hurt again? Yeah, he had a setback in oh. his shoulder recovery. So how long is he out? We don't know. It's but not a short term. It's not really known at this point in time. It broke late. He had played in preseason games, and then they so he said, could play like in a week. In maybe, theory, it could be a month. It could be some amount of time. But okay. if he gets healthy, he's a really good player, and they they need him. But it gives them the cover to sign Shane Pinto, which has been an ongoing dispute. Hmm. So the thing with them is compared to Ottawa or De- or compared to Buffalo or Detroit, Ottawa was a a good team in the underlying numbers. Buffalo was at like 48%. Detroit was at 46 in expected goals. Ottawa was at 51. So when you're when you're above water, I think that means you should kind of start out as the, the more favored team to get there as opposed well, to... Well, they were kind of the darling of the offseason last year where people yeah, are like, oh, they're going to... And it didn't quite work out and they had to move off of Debrinkit, but they did bring in uh, Tarasenko, obviously, and now they get a full season of Chekrin. Mm. Full meaning 60 games because he never plays more than that. (laughs) But, and, you know, they have, if Stutzla keeps getting better and better, then, yeah, I think they could be in the playoffs. I think they are moving up, and the Red Wings will have a shot at it, but they need a lot of things to go right to get to that point. So it's an Atlantic division that's getting more and more competitive because the bottom is rising up and the top is sliding down some. And so it should lead to a more competitive playoff race, which is fun, and more competitive games in night in and night out. Anything else in the East? Nope. All right. Uh, the biggest news, I think, in the Central Division is the Jets went in a particular direction, signing Connor Hellebuck and Mark Shifley to, I think, both seven-year deals. Is that right? At about seven to eight, eight and a half yeah. per? 
Look, Winnipeg is a team that is in a small market. Very, 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 very small market. Yeah, I mean, they're you're not they're not the free agent destination. They're that not, most other. They're teams not a are. they're not a big market at all. They have a tiny stadium. Yeah, it's much smaller than any other stadium in the league. Is it really? Yes. It's what it, about fifteen thousand? Oh, really? Yeah. So it's the amount they can raise revenue wise is is very very small and. Then you've got the fact that they're never a free agent destination for right. anybody. Yeah. And I think ownership there has made it very clear that they're just terrified of... If you get bad, you might never get back. Yep. The Sabres of the 2010s were a very cautionary tale. Yeah. And ownership, I think, is terrified of that and would prefer to just ride it out as long as they can. And, hey, they've got, they do have some, some pieces in their future that I do like offensively. Um, Hopefully Cole Perfetti can stay healthy. This yeah, I was going to say a Perfetti. player I really like. But uh, beyond that, they've they've really spent a lot of picks on on forwards in recent years. So over the next few years, guys like Rucker McGordy should mm. join their team. Uh, Brad Lambert. There's a few others that they have that I that I do like. But the core is on the older side and is probably going to keep getting older. And you lock in Shifley. I think Hellebuck made more sense because Hellebuck is a goalie and goalie aging curves are a little bit different. Forward aging curves are very steep in their 30s and Shifley will be 31 when this deal starts. Were you surprised that Hellebuck got as little as he did? I think you're just not going to see a $10 million goalie again. So you think maybe Shesterkin will do it. All of the idiot. Sorokin was what? Was he nine? Eight. Eight, eight and yeah. a half. I mean, with that being the new watermark, I just think that 10. I mean, maybe someone in the... Uh, but higher... he like, he wanted to stay on Long Island. Yeah, like, ma- that maybe was... a guy in a higher cap world who hits free agency can get to 10 eventually, but... But it's... that was sort of the... There were rumors about Hellebuck and him being that guy who was going to hit free agency and everyone was going to go Bobrovsky over him. Yeah, but I think his agent probably played his hand very smart here. Said... Which is that the agent said, hey, look, break... I don't I don't think we're getting eight and a half. You can have two options. You can either take five and go to New Jersey and win many cups... Or you can get your eight or nine that you want and stay here because they're desperate to give it to you. And he said, I'll take the cash. And got to respect it. So A briefcase in a hand is worth cups yeah, exactly. and a, multiple and, and cups also, in a bush. On the point on Winnipeg, one final thing about their young guys. In jettisoning PLD, they got uh, Villari, who I really like, and, and he's a young guy. So they do have some younger players, but it is an older core. So we'll see if they can... Stay in the hunt. Otherwise, the Central, I think, is the worst division in the league. And well, I have a couple questions for you about that. First, um, Colorado and Dallas look like yep. they're going to be in the playoffs. Dallas had a, an interesting move, um, a financially savvy move, getting a year of Matt Duchesne at $3 million. They have a, a number of guys that, that at the for, at forward, they obviously have Ottinger and Nett and a couple defensemen. They almost won the division. Colorado came back late and took it. But um, the, the Stars look like they're probably a at least round or two in the playoffs type team, if not a longer run, depending on uh, how yeah, much. Yeah, I, I really like the Stars going. team, but they're a team. I think that if we're just projecting out the trade deadline, it, it, the Stars and the Leafs stand out to me as the two teams that at the deadline will need to hunt a defenseman because mm-hmm. it feels like the Stars are one short. Heaskinen's a beast. They have some decent support guys, but they need one more guy. Who's the guy? That, they have a guy that's like 37. Yeah, Ryan giving, Suter. Yeah, Suter, yeah. And we saw in the playoffs last year him get eaten alive. Yeah. And he's, just, he's, he's at the point where he is a third-pair guy now, and that leaves them one guy short in their top four. So that'll be a need for them. But their forward group is deep. 
there is a little reason for caution because last year they really banked on the renaissance of Sagan and Ben. And it worked. And the fact that Joel Pavelski never, ever ages. And if and any Ro- of- Robertson became a dude last year. Right. And they have great young talent up front at forward. But if Pavelski and one of those other older guys does take a step back, then it could hurt you a little bit. But it's a really deep forward group. I And you've got elite players at all three positions. Ottinger was great for them. The one thing they got to do is not worry about the playoff matchups too much because I think they really hurt them in the playoffs how much they rode Ottinger late. Mm. In that season, he played, it was some number like 37 of their final 41 games, <laughs> regular season and playoffs. Yeah. Because there was so much logic. You have to win the Central. You have to win the Central. Because you didn't want to play. Because you get an easy matchup against Seattle, right? Yeah. They're not going to win a round. Yeah. So, <laughs> Unless, this uh, is the NHL. You can't game playoff matchups like that. Yeah. You need to be well prepared for the playoffs. So, even if that means sacrificing points because you have to play Scott Wedgwood more than you want, it, it will benefit you in the postseason. So, are you intrigued at all by Colorado's third line? Are they playing Wood with Colton and like Druan on that line? No, Wood with uh, Colton and Tatar. Yeah, I think that'll be a good line in the regular season. I mean, it, Tatar is just—he is what he is. Yeah, and he's the probably the most famous playoff choker of all time in terms of just vanishing. Are you interested in the Duran McKinnon experiment? Yeah, I, I I like that. I think Colton was a decent bet uh, for them, but. Their whole thing is their defense has to stay healthy. If, de- if their healthy. defense stays healthy, it's hard for me to see another team being clearly better than them in the, the West. The Avalanche, but, I think, will get to the deadline and will need a forward. Is you my, think a is, forward? Is my guess. Well, depending on Druin. Probably, but we saw what happened last year, right? When they well, when their five elite players play, yeah, they tilt the ice on anybody. Yeah, and then when their five elite players don't play, they got eaten alive. Well, a lot of those Seattle. guys are gone. Yeah, they changed out, but we're not sure if any of those guys are, are you know, if you, could get, if you could get one dude to play on that line instead of... I like know. the Colton pickup. I liked the Johansson pickup because I think that there... Yeah, that's a decent bet. There, there is... Well, and they got um, Nashville to eat half the yeah, salary. that was... <laughs> for, do you know who they traded? Can uh, you remember who, who they traded for, for to get that in that no, trade? It, Alex Galchenyuk. Oh, yeah. Who no one signed, and I think he went back to Russia. No, he or he went to. No, he signed to Arizona. Well, yeah, and then he got in a legal situation. And that's and, what it was. And okay, had, and was cut. Okay. Like, immediately after. So, yeah, I, look, I thought that was a decent bet. Nashville's thing is beyond beyond puzzling to me. I like the things that Gary uh, uh, Barry Trotz is saying in terms of <laughs> we want to get. Did you like what he was saying on draft night? No, we want to get younger. We want, I mean, he told his scouts, I want to draft high upside, high skill players. That's great. Yeah. But then why did you eat half of Johansson to sign Ryan O'Reilly? What is, what was the point of that? So I don't think Nashville is good at all. And Duchesne. And they cut Duchesne. They cut, they cut Duchesne and they cut O'Reilly to sign Gus Nyquist. No, they didn't, they signed O'Reilly. They, they ate, they cut. They cut Johansson and Duchesne to sign O'Reilly, Gus Nyquist, and Luke Shen. (laughs) who are, I believe, all born in 1990 or earlier. Which brings me... So... I don't... I mean, I think Nashville isn't any good. I don't think St. Louis... So is, wait, wait, is, wait. You're flying through my question here. You... we it, The question kind of changes because of what happened today with the Jets. But let's say that that didn't happen yet, or it's happening tomorrow, and we recorded yesterday, whatever. Could Arizona... <laughs> Make the, finish third in the division and make the playoffs. No, I not they're, at all. They're too far away. I Minnesota, not even with adding Cooley. Minnesota is is better than them pretty clearly. I think. You think so? Yeah, Arizona is going to get better. 
But they're also going to trade half their roster. I was surprised to see that in the athletic model they had 83 points. Uh, I mean, projected. that's that's still you a got lo- a shot. That's a long way away. From the playoff. <laughs> that's still like 10 points away, and 10 points is a lot. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I like that they're finally inching towards competitiveness. They're saying we actually are going to try and win. Did they get a, a, a? They didn't get a stadium deal though. Did they, they have not. They have until January. Okay. They have. Pr- they have. Filed a letter with the intention to purchase land in Mesa, <laughs> I, I believe know. is the saga. But yeah, that might not be a thing. Minnesota is boring as hell, and they'll but they'll grind you out. I'm worried about their goaltending. I think they're more playoff fringy, but they're okay. Winnipeg's okay. Nashville, St. Louis, I don't think are any good. Are you excited to see Bedard? Yeah, I I I am hoping that Bedard puts up 80 points or something because it's been a long time since we saw someone go straight from the draft to torch the league. It's basically been since Matthews and Line, and that was a long time ago now. So I I, I would like to see that. And the thing interesting thing for me, you know, you know, we'll get to see them, right? Because Frank Nazer plays for Michigan. Yep. Oliver Moore plays for Minnesota. So you we're gonna get like up close and personal with uh the Blackhawks center depth throughout yeah, the Yeah the, the Blackhawks I really like what Kyle Davidson's building. I, I still need to see him build more defensively. Yeah. I Korchinski, who made the team high pick last year, I wasn't crazy on him in, in his draft year personally, but maybe he'll he'll be good. But they've spent a lot of picks on centers, which is not bad. That I mean, never that's, a bad thing. No. But they also will need to spend some picks on defensemen too eventually. At some point. Yeah. So, but the not way, too early because you want to suck until you're good, right? Yeah. But the, <laughs> but the way they're building around really fast centers. Uh, with a lot of skill, I really like that. I think they'll be an exciting team. I like Bedard a lot. I think um, I think he'll be a good ambassador for the game. Seems like a good kid. So, all right, what can Vegas do out west? Uh, Vegas should be pretty good. I do kind of think there might be a little bit of a Stanley Cup hangover, but it's hard for there not to be, right? Hard for there not to be. It's just, so. I mean, look at every team that's won it in the last few years. Sands the Lightning, who's two cups. But the Lightning that year, that regular season, they were kind of Stanley Cup hangover. They didn't, yeah. they didn't win that division, and I think they got third place in that division. I think Florida had home ice in that uh, first round in the COVID year. But, but they didn't win that cup. Oh, oh, you're talking about in 20? When, when the Lightning won their second or 21. cup. 21. That's Central Division, as it was called. Mm. I believe was Carolina 1, Florida 2, Lightning 3. Okay. And Hedman was like kind of bad down oh, the right. stretch. And a lot of people. And that's when he lost the Norris, like at the last minute to Adam <laughs> Fox. Okay. And then they went in the playoffs, and they're like, oh, we're still the Lightning. Yeah. So that could happen with Vegas. The other thing with Vegas, though, I do worry a little bit about their defensive age, where you have Alec Martinez at 35 or 36 and Petrangelo at 33, and he had an awesome bounce back year, but the year before he'd been hurt and a little disappointing. So Well, and Stone hasn't been healthy. And Stone's not going to play enough. Yeah. Like He's going to play 40 games and yeah. then hope to have enough in the playoffs. So I don't expect them to win that division. As a result, I do expect Edmonton to win it. Um, Who actually is gearing up for one, maybe one or two more runs with McDavid. Well, this is the one last run with Ken Holland. Is this it? Sounds like it. He's like, I don't care what happens, I'm done? It's the last year of his contract, and all the conversation has been that he intends to retire. Can they do it? You know, I came into the season a little scared. Part of it was, last year, everyone was like, our cup pick is Edmonton, Carolina. (laughs) And then this year, everyone's like, our cup pick is Edmonton, Carolina. And I was like, you can't do that. You can't do that two years in a row. It's just a bunch of hockey romantics. But here's my thing. When I sat down and looked at it, I said last year Edmonton in the final was a crazy pick at the time because they were coming off a conference final appearance, yes, but it was a conference final appearance built off of 
insane, unsustainable play, even from yeah. legendary players. Yeah. But this year they're coming off a, a, a playoffs that I do think justifies you know, talking Hype. about them as a Stanley Cup pick because they finished third in expected goals. Their possession numbers were excellent. They, after the trade for Ekholm, they were awesome down the stretch. They won their first round series. And in the second round, yes, they lost, but they played the eventual cup champion and they played them harder than any other team. Uh, they went to six games and I don't believe anyone else went to six games. Dallas did, but after going down 3-0, which is a, a little bit different. Yeah. So, um, are you Edmonton, worried about their goaltending? I am to some degree, but Stuart Skinner was a good AHL goalie. It's not like Akira Schmidt or some. Whenever you see a guy jump up from the AHL who wasn't very good there and then balls out in the NHL, you kind of have to be like. But when a guy who is a good AHL goalie comes up and is a good NHL goalie, then you feel like, okay, yeah, I, I think he could do it. And I also think Jack Campbell will bounce back some. Not to justify the contract. But we've seen enough of him to know he's not an 880 goalie. Like, Do they have um, enough depth scoring? That's something I think they could pick up at the deadline. I mean, they're still a little light on defense, too, but they score so many goals. It's it's just they were a really good team last year, and they returned mostly the full team. So I expect that they will be in the in the playoffs with a lot of points and be a real contender. Is, Darnell, is your Darnell Nurse jersey in the mail yet? <laughs> That's the one contract they probably should not have signed. So Vegas and Edmonton both look like they're at least going to be in the playoffs, if not making some sort of a run. After that... Um, the Kings, the Kraken, the Kraken seem like the they're probably going to come Kraken back to earth a little like bit. like a disappointment team. They weren't bad, but they did shoot the lights out. And if they don't shoot the lights out and the goaltending doesn't improve and there's not a whole lot of reason to think it will, uh, they could be, I, I think they're probably more of an 85 to 90 point team versus the, 100. The Kings sort of feel like they're in the same boat. Maybe. Kings have been a little lucky in recent years. They've won a lot of one goal games. They've won a lot of shootouts. So that's something to keep in mind. I don't think they're bad at all. I thought they overpaid for Dubois. Goaltending looks real rough, but on the contrary, they got 893 goaltending last year and had yeah. 100 points. So it's not like you're changing the baseline <laughs> yeah, much there. That's, yeah. So, you know, I I think they'll be decent. Calgary was a really good analytic team last year that didn't finish enough chances and got horrendous goaltending. Well, so like, if if Markstrom had- bounces back, then. They also had a weird fit with their coach. The and coach he's now gone. And he's and gone. So I think they could get a coaching bump, a goaltending bump. What do they max at in terms of spot in that division? Third? Second or third. Second yeah. or third. Yeah, I mean, there's a chance everything goes right again. But I think they'll probably jump back in. Um, it's a pretty competitive Pacific division overall. And so. you're, you're – I've never heard anyone talk with such positivity regarding the Canucks as you have in the last, like, few months. Well, this is my – it's a case study for my uh, d- disdain in the way. <laughs> well, a case study for disdain is always a good way to start a sentence. Conversation <laughs> about pro scouting versus amateur scouting. Okay. There's this weird belief that you have to draft all of your good players. And if you don't draft them all, there's no way to ever get I mean, better. You can trade for guys. Uh, not You're not allowed to. That's oh. what they say. Okay. If you didn't draft your all of your, your full 20-man roster, you can't be a good team. That's just the way it is. Which is crazy. Because... I have no idea if the Canucks will end up paying it off and be better than they are. But the idea that you have these two elite players in their early 20s and saying, hey, let's attempt to build a team around them, 
now as opposed to drafting and then hoping those guys pay off when our core is 30 years old. I think that's the right thing to do. And everyone is just like, oh my God, why aren't you drafting all the players? Well, isn't it partially because they're, they've are they also like not been good? Yes. It, I think throwing in the towel and just trading Hughes and Pedersen is a kind of a dumb thing. I think you should at least attempt. And if it doesn't work, you can still trade them later, but at least give it a shot. And, you know, it was not that many years ago, three, four years ago, that the Florida Panthers were a team with an interesting core of Ekblad and, and Barkov and Huberdeau, but they were stuck at 85, 90 points pretty consistently. And then what happened? They made a lot of good decisions, and they none of them were through drafting. They, they got Kachuk. Well, Anton Lundell was one through drafting. That was it. One first rounder. But otherwise, they made a lot of smart moves. They, they built a system. They said, hey... Brandon Montour, you know, Gustav Forsling, Carter Verhage, these guys were found in the trash pile of the NHL. And the Panthers identified them and built a really good team and got better. And you can absolutely get, and Vegas was another example. You can absolutely get better through pro scouting, and I want to see more teams do it. So I like that the Canucks are trying. I don't think they're probably going to get in the playoffs this year. But what I'll say about them is when you actually look at their roster compared to the past, it's a lot better. You do have to admit that. Like it used to be, you'd pull up their page, you'd see five good players that you're like, wow, they're really good players. And then legitimately six to seven players that are not NHL players. And this year now, they're mostly NHL players. So it's trending in the right direction slowly. Will Anaheim get 40 points? <sighs> you're not sure. <laughs> they, they will get 40 points. They'll get 40. They'll be in the 60 to 70 range probably. They were so bad defensively. And They're I, so bad at everything. And I hope that the coaching change restores some order to that team. The stuff with Zegras has been really weird. I mean, how, how good is he? We don't know. We don't know. But he, he, he certainly is good at highlights. But they're not saying... The manner in which they've approached it very confrontationally is very strange for a young player that's kind of a core piece of your franchise. Well, he could be. You hire a coach, you bring him in, and the coach, his first thing is, we're going to be serious. No more horsing around. We're going to be playing hockey. Emgo and, should do that. We should have no more horsing around. <laughs> and then, you know, you try to you try to lowball him on the contract. Just very fascinating. So, and then last but not least, I will be surprised if anyone is worse than San Jose. So they're they're the bottom of the barrel. They no one knows the way to San Jose. Oh boy. Good lord. Will Bordalo play for them? Yeah. Their, their forward group is interesting. The problem is they're going to score three goals a game and give up seven. And lose so their li- Buffalo light? Their defense is woof. <laughs> and their goaltending is also yikes. So, But that was the thing about the Carlson trade to me. Everyone was like, they didn't get a ton of return. I'm like, you know what they got? They got the ability to be god-awful. Because <laughs> he would have like inflated yeah, them a little bit. He would have yeah. pulled them up enough. Yeah. And instead, they'll get to have 55 points and finish last. And that really matters. Now they can draft Celebrini or whatever. Yeah, you get a, you can only fall as far as third now if you finish last. Yeah. And you've got a 50-50 shot of getting either Celebrini or Cole Iserman. If you're the Sharks, sign me up. Yeah. Well, you need something. So, All right. Well, we've one period has played. And it looks like Nikita Kucherov has scored and no one else has. And he has one goal and Nashville has, what, two shots in the period? He is the front runner for the Rocket Richard. <laughs> he is in first by himself. So that is what you should take away from this podcast.
Thank you for listening to Michigan Hockey Cast 6.2 for Alex Drain and David Nasternak. Next week, we will be discussing whether UMass hockey or football is a better team. Thank you.